It's a noisy world out there, and on today's show, how to stand out. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 189. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help leaders improve their communication, strategy, coaching, productivity, and personal mastery. And today we're going to really hit on personal mastery and strategy in a big way. And one of the things that is becoming, at least I feel, and I know our guest does as well, more and more important in today's organizations and in our careers is thinking through our strategy, both personally and within our organization of how do we stand out. And that's why I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, because not only is she an expert on this and has been working in this area for many years, but she has a new book that's coming out exactly on this topic. And I know that that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people in the Coaching for Leaders audience. And that is Dory Clark. Dory is a marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, and she's a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the World Economic Forum blog. She is the author of Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future from Harvard Business Review Press. But her next book launches this week, which is Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Dave, thanks so much. It's great to be speaking with you. Well, I was really excited to get introduced to you recently because, um, you know, not only what you've been doing, but but just the concept you've placed around this book. And when you and I first talked, uh, one of the things that was interesting to me is just how you went about this book and profiling some of the people who have been really successful in standing out. And, um, and I was wondering if maybe you could start off by just telling us about how you chose the people that were featured in this book and kind of the concept of the book. And then maybe we can get into some of the details on the strategy each of us should follow too. Yeah, absolutely. So writing standout was in a lot of ways, a, a path of, of exploration and self-discovery for me, because probably like a lot of your listeners, I look at some of the thinkers that I admire and especially because we live in a world that is getting so noisy, so crowded. You know, everybody's throwing uh, throwing stuff out there. Everybody's got a blog. Everybody's trying to get attention. It's getting harder and harder for an individual's message to get through and get heard. And so I was always fascinated by the people who really had been successful. What were they doing differently? What was it about their ideas that actually broke through the noise and managed to get recognized and have an impact. And so over the years, I, I just sort of uh, assembled this list of people that I was fascinated by. Uh, some of them are business thinkers that are probably well-known to your audience, like David Allen from Getting Things Done fame, or Seth Godin, or Dan Pink, or Robert Cialdini, who wrote the book Influence. And some of them are people uh, that I became familiar with in other realms, uh, you know, political economy and genomics and urban planning and things like that. But I wanted to, to really look at a cross-section of these thought leaders and figure out what was it that they were doing differently that we all could learn from. Fascinating. So as you started looking at these folks and putting together their profiles, what were some of the things that you saw as common threads 
that were coming up in you know across industries and across different personality types that are things we could learn from? Well, one of the most important points um, really boils down to the fact that in order to uh, to break through as a thought leader, there's two key pieces. The first one is that that each person really became identified with a, a clear breakthrough idea or concept. Um, you know, if you if you don't have that, you're not really a thought leader. You're more, uh, you know, like a reality TV show or you know, a celebrity person. You know, Kim Kardashian is a lot of things, but she's not a thought leader. Mm-hmm. So the first part is about having a clear intellectual content to what you're doing. And we can definitely spend some time uh, talking about how people came up with those ideas. But, you know, for now, I'll just say that uh, there has to be some kind of idea of meaning that they're advancing. Okay. And then this, the second part is that in order to, to really break through, you have to build a following. You can't just expect that if you have a good enough idea, it'll gain traction on, your, your, on its own. You have to make it happen. And so all of these thought leaders uh, in, in different ways, but you know, following a similar pattern, were able to spread the word and to take control of its spread so that it would catch fire in a broader context. Interesting. So, so both the the intellectual piece, but also the ability to get the message out there is kind of the key components around this. Exactly. If you have one or the other, you know that's nice, but that's not a movement. That's not something with impact. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, you know, I, you actually alluded to this a minute ago, and I'm. I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with these days, um, you know, especially people who, you know are kind of just starting their careers or maybe just starting to think about getting their ideas out there is there are so many blogs, podcasts, social media sites. It just, it, it really does seem like things are so noisy out there. Is it still possible? I mean, I kind of know the answer to this question, but I'm really, I'm curious about your thought on it is, is it still possible to break through and what's, what is it the people who do break through and still get their message out there, what is it they're doing that other people aren't doing? Well, I do think it is still possible uh, to, to break through, but we have to understand that the, the rules are changing in a lot of ways. I mean, part of the, the reason that people get so fascinated by uh, success stories of you know, people who, who are, are, you know, they go from nowhere to everywhere overnight is that the mechanism has really changed. It used to be that you would get famous because, you know, maybe you got you got a book deal and then, oh, you know, your book made you famous or, oh, you, you get picked to be on TV and then TV makes you famous. Mm-hmm. And what I really learned both through, through certainly through my own experience writing a book, um, but also in researching these thought leaders is that the book isn't going to make you famous. You have to make yourself famous famous, and then you'll get the book, or then you'll get the opportunity to do X, Y, Z. And so it, it requires a kind of entrepreneurial sense of how to uh, build a following. And so the question that you asked, Dave, about you know what are the commonalities, how do they do this, um, what I realized in talking to these thought leaders is that there is a three-step process that people are following um, when, it, when it comes to gaining an audience. The first step, which is, I think, often overlooked, 
is what I call one-to-one idea transmission. And that's the starting point where you really need to have a small trusted group of colleagues around you. It could be, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to use, use the, the sort of uh, business parlance. It could be a mastermind group. It could be your own personal board of directors. It could just be, you know, trusted colleagues. But you want people who you can bounce ideas off of, vet things with, and get your ideas to a refined point so that they're as good as they can possibly be before you take them to prime time. The second step is what I call one-to-many idea transmission. And this is what we typically think of when it comes to, to marketing. It's you know writing blogs or speaking. It's finding ways to put your ideas out into the public sphere and let people hear them and discover them. And then the final step, when you really are able to, you know, to have a tremendous impact, is what I call many-to-many idea transmission. And that is the place where people have heard your ideas and not just nodded, you know, not just said, oh, yeah, that's nice, but they've taken them on as their own and they become ambassadors and they start spreading your ideas as their own. So, I mean, just by way of example, one of the people that I profile in, in the book is a guy named Eric Reese, who became very well known. Um, he's the author of a, a book called The Lean Startup, which was a huge bestseller. Yeah, it's um, a great book. It is. It's fantastic concepts. And the way that, that this started, literally, um, he started as a blog. It was an anonymous blog, in fact, because he was you know, kind of nervous and embarrassed and he didn't know how well it would go over. So he starts writing this anonymous blog. It gets some traction. Finally, he unmasks himself, so to speak. Um, he gets asked to write a book about it. He writes the book. And you know, meanwhile, he's building this infrastructure, sharing the ideas with more and more people. And critically, uh, the lean startup has become a phenomenon. If you are the only person who at the end of the day is still talking about your idea, that's, that's a failure. You need to get other people talking about it. Literally, there are lean startup meetups in 70 countries around the world. 350,000 plus people regularly participate in lean startup meetups because it's shifted into this many-to-many idea transmission where people have heard the idea and they say, that has relevance to me, that has meaning to me, I want to take that on. Wow, that's awesome. And and I resonate with that because I read his book about a year ago and I remember going online and just looking at all that had happened around that book and that movement. It's really amazing like how that idea just became not just his, but really, like you said, many-to-many, so many people engaging with that. And you know, it, it, what you said earlier too, Dory, really resonates with me because um, I know I've heard from a number of authors now that if you go and talk to the traditional book publishers these days, um, they're as concerned, if not more concerned, with the the platform, the community that an author has built that can potentially market a book as they are with the idea itself, um, that it's very, very difficult to get a book published these days if you don't already have a following because even the big book even the more traditional book publishers are realizing that that's so critical for getting a message out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was something that I certainly learned firsthand, Dave. I first uh, got really serious about wanting to write a book in 2009. And so I, I, you know, I I was so diligent. I made it my new year's resolution. I was going to get a book contract that year. And so literally uh, you know, I mean, I approached it completely the wrong way. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote three different book proposals uh, within six months. And I, I figured, all right, one of these, you know, someone's going to like one of these. 
And, you know, that's, that's really not what matters. You know, I mean, of course you have to have a good book proposal, but, um, you know, I got, uh, you know, I, I just kept getting everything back and, you know, for, for one of them in particular, um, I, I got some nibbles. Um, I had a publisher that was theoretically interested, but in, at the end of the day, the message that came back was essentially, sorry, you're just not famous enough. Mm. And uh, I realized that, unfortunately, even though it was incredibly frustrating for me, uh, I had to take a step back. I couldn't directly go to publishing a book. Uh, I realized I needed to start platform building. And so I embarked upon a campaign for a couple of years of really intensive blogging. And that was what turned out to be necessary for me to um, be able to build up enough of a presence so that publishers wanted to be willing to take a chance on me. Oh, interesting. Interesting. You know, it's it's, it's funny that a lot of people perceive, and I've heard this and I'm sure you have too, that every like the people who are out there who are famous, who've got their ideas, like who, who've gotten traction, have had like a big break moment. And that's just not really the case anymore. Like when you talk, at least for me, when I talk to people who are really like well known at doing something, or people come on the show and have best selling books, it is years of work that they've done diligently, like you said, of that one to one or one to many process of either written a blog or worked diligently, and then something happened that was kind of the maybe a starting point, but but it was followed by years of work of really getting to that point. Yeah, I think that's that's really true, Dave. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, this is a function of simply where you begin the story. Uh, because, you know, for me, if we if we begin the story where, where it really begins, you know, in 2009, um, I had three failed book proposals under my belt, which, you know, never got published, never saw the light of day. Um, but if you begin the story a little bit later, um, you know, in 2010, uh, I finally uh, was able to start blogging for the Harvard Business Review after uh, angling my way in there for a while. And, uh, and that was kind of a lucky break too. The way that I got in was that, um, you know, I, I had been putting in the work I had been, uh, trying for a long time to break in at a variety of different, uh, business publications without too much success as a blogger. Um, I managed to start blogging for the Huffington post, but I wanted to, uh, to blog for some other places, um, wasn't getting much feedback. And, um, I ended up selling my bike on Craigslist to somebody who worked at the Harvard Business Review. What? <laughs> yeah, I lived in Boston, you know, so it uh, it happened, and I I just followed up that lead very persistently, and she was willing to introduce me to an editor, and finally, you know, the editor took a look at my stuff and he liked it, so he uh, he published some posts of mine, and the second post I ever did was called "How to Reinvent Your Personal Brand." And that became popular. Um, they asked me if I would take the blog post and turn it into a magazine piece for the Harvard Business Review magazine, which I did. I expanded it out. And then literally, I mean, where the, you know, the lucky break uh, happens if you start the story here is that the week that my article came out in Harvard Business Review, three different literary agents came to me and said, are you represented? Are you interested in trying to turn this into a book? Wow. And so that was the place where I realized like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. This is what it's like when you've got the wind at your back um, rather than blowing in your face. Uh, and so I was indeed able to sell the book to Harvard Business Review Publishing. And uh, two years later, my first book, Reinventing You, uh, arose out of that process, um, but it was it was the the result. All those things were the result 
of uh, you know the the two to three years before that of blogging in the three failed book proposals. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And and I and I hope people don't miss the part where you said. And you followed up with that lead persistently because yeah. it's not like you just ran into that person. They were like, "Hey, you know, would you like to publish?" I mean, you worked you worked hard to even in that quote unquote chance encounter, you worked hard to make that happen. And I think that that's something that a lot of times there's the assumption for a lot of us that like, well, you know, if I just if I just you know show up, <laughs> something good will happen. And it's just it's not enough to do that. We really do have to we really do have to be intentional about going out and speaking on our for ourselves and marketing ourselves. And if we're willing to do that, then good things do happen for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've, we've got we to work it at every angle. Absolutely. Well, and that, that, that's a great transition to something I know that I, I, I think is really a good starting point for our audience, because I know we have many people in the audience who are leaders in small to medium-sized businesses, who are entrepreneurs, and they're wanting to to rise above their market or at least just get noticed in their market online. And, you know, it's a new world than it was a generation ago when we saw a lot of our parents and grandparents running businesses or working in corporate America. And I'm wondering, like, when you think about the one-to-one ideas and the one-to-many, what's the place that an entrepreneur can get started to get noticed in the market or a small business leader? Yeah. So in terms of of starting to get noticed in the market and, and really beginning that process, um, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of different ways that I could answer this, but uh, I'll actually circle back to uh, to a piece that I cover in the beginning of of my book, Stand Out, which is about how how do you actually come up with the ideas in the first place? Um, how do you figure out what you want to be known for and what you know that thing is? And what I discovered in interviewing all of these top leaders in a variety of different fields is you know there's not there's not one way to do it but there is interestingly uh, a limited number of ways to do it um, I actually uh, came up with five that there are five principal ways that uh, when people are recognized as thought leaders uh, these are the strategies that they follow and we can talk about any of these in more depth but uh, really briefly um, the first the first strategy is uh, is what I call the niche strategy where you make a concerted effort to become a recognized expert in a narrow niche, and then strategically work to expand into adjacent areas. That's number one. Um, Number two is what I call combining ideas or combining fields, uh, because it's it's very hard to distinguish yourself if you are so steeped in one tradition that that is the only thing that you know or the only thing that you do. Mm. But if you are able to bring together elements from a couple of fields, Like Eric Ries did, for instance, in the Lean Startup by taking Lean methodology, which comes out of the automotive manufacturing industry, and melding that with high-tech and startups, then you can create something that's actually kind of new and interesting as a hybrid. Oh, interesting. Um, Interesting. I hadn't thought of that until you just articulated that as an example, but you're absolutely right. That's what he did. Yeah, thank you. So that would be the second one. Uh, The third one is about um, creating original research. And, you know, this might sound a little bit intimidating, but it really doesn't have to be. Um, What I've discovered is that, you know, in the internet era, opinion is cheap, right? Everybody has an opinion about something, you know, they blog about somebody else's blog and what they, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of this, this echo chamber. But so if you are the person who is presenting fact rather than opinion, if it's actually um, based on real concrete knowledge, whether that is because 
you uh, actually reviewed 20 different kinds of VCRs and compared them or, you know, it, because you uh, did a case study, a detailed case study of something, because you wrote an article and you interviewed 10 people for it rather than just coming up with, you know, pulling stuff out of thin air. Um, if you did, as you know, took the time to do a study to, you know, really show, uh, for instance, you know, which, which tweets go viral and why or whatever. These are all things that you can do as, as an individual if you put in the time and effort, um, and that original research will pay off. Um, and, so that's that's the third piece. Yeah, and one of the things I, 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 re, I remember seeing in the book is that you don't necessarily have to go out and recruit 10,000 people to run a research study. Yes, that's one way to do it, and certainly people who are doing you know, serious academic work are doing that kind of thing. Um, but like you said, it, it could be you putting together your own data of putting together and doing reviews on something or, or anything that's original that's you putting together for the first time could potentially be useful and really helpful to your audience in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this clearly uh, obviously ended up not being the place where he where he ultimately made his mark. But uh, Nate Silver, you know, who everybody knows from his uh, work with the New York Times, uh, you know, predicting the elections and uh, and you know, creating these statistical models around uh, electoral politics, and he now does it for ESPN. Um, the way that he actually kind of test drove his ideas was that he was an accounting firm employee in Chicago. Um, we, one can safely say a fairly bored uh, accounting firm <laughs> employee. And he created something called the burrito bracket, uh, in which he, uh, he, did, uh, you know, he did research, quote unquote, uh, in which he ate a large number of burritos and uh, tried to ascertain which burrito in Chicago was the best. And that was his original research. But nonetheless, nice. you know, that's, that's an example of original research. So I think the message there is get started. I mean, that might seem like a silly project, but I bet he learned a lot doing that and just kind of got in, interested in the idea and started thinking about the process of going through and researching and collecting data to the point now, and, and for those who aren't familiar, I mean, he nailed <laughs> the last presidential election and became like a superstar um, practically overnight because he was so accurate in his projections. And so like, just get started, get out there and start doing something. If you have that desire, or that motivation to try something and see where it goes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's, it's about, you know, learning by doing, by rolling up your sleeves and then, you know, just, just briefly, Dave, the last two uh, major strategies that I discovered that these thought leaders are employing, number four is what I will call tackling a big problem. Um, because, you know, if, you're, if, if your version of a big idea is just, you know, how do, how do we add an extra half inch to, you know, a smartphone design, that's not really uh, an innovation. It's not really a big idea. Um, but if you look at big problems, whether they're big problems in the world, like, you know, how do you feed starving people or big, big problems in your industry? How do you, is there a way that you can eliminate spam or, you know, whatever it is, but it's by facing the big problems mm. that you can create big answers and big breakthroughs. Um, and then the, the fifth and final is what I call creating a framework. And basically what this means is that if you can find a way to create some kind of a structure, some kind of a, an explanatory device uh, for your field. Um, this is uh, almost a surefire way to be able to, uh, to make sure that when uh, your discipline is mentioned, 
you are mentioned. And you might think this sounds complicated or, you know, like all the good ones have been taken or something like that. But, you know, really, you only need to, to look back at something like Robert Cialdini, who created uh, this framework. It's the six principles of influence and persuasion. And, you know, people have been talking about influence and persuasion literally for millennia. Right. But it wasn't until the past 30 years that Robert Cialdini came up with this framework that said, guys, there's only six ways that people can be persuaded. Here's what they are. And he laid them out and everyone said, oh my God, you're right. And now whenever people talk about influence and persuasion, they cite him because it is so darn useful. Yeah. And that to, to just underscore your point, I remember reading that book in college in a psych class, and I have seen that book cited in so many places in the last 20, 25 years. It's crazy how influential, you know, pun intended, I suppose, that yes. book has really become. Uh, and and like you said, it's not that there was, it's not that the content itself was necessarily radical, but the way it was framed was entirely different. Um, you know, I, I even think back to, you know, my work with Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie's best-selling book. It, it's not that any of that content was new or that the world didn't know that. It's just that he framed it in these 30 human relations principles in a way with stories that was unforgettable. And and the book's still a bestseller because of it. It, it. it really is amazing. Just putting together a framework can be really powerful. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's a, a perfect example. Um, you know, when, when, you, when you create a structure like that that helps people better understand their own lives, they are just so intensely grateful. And, uh, and they want to cite you because, uh, because it, it helps them and it helps other people. All right. So this has got me thinking about lots of different things. I'm just thinking about the Coaching for Leaders community and the Carnegie Coach Project and all that I'm working on. So um, I, and my idea, my head's swimming with different things I can be thinking of. Um, it, it, so to avoid that kind of like getting too much down into the, the details, what is, what's one thing, if you were talking to a small business owner or a small business leader and they were saying, okay, you know, we're just starting out, we're just starting out maybe trying to get our message out in the world. What would be the one or maybe two things you'd suggest, Dory, that would be the starting point, the first thing to do and to start thinking about or doing that would get you along this path? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I actually think that um, if, if they are wanting to lay some groundwork, um, one, of the, one of the most important things to do early on is content creation. And I, I say this, you know, you don't want to, you know, do you know a national advertising push per se before, uh, you know, before you really know what your message is. But I also believe that one of the uh, one of the real benefits of creating content is that you can it can serve as a learning tool for you as well as a promotional tool. And I know, you know, this is uh, this is probably the case for for you, Dave. I, I know it is for your friend and colleague, John Corcoran, with whom you've done a number of joint podcasts. Yep. Um, you know, I actually profiled John in my book, Stand Out. And uh, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is that he really explains that he uses his podcast for a whole variety of, of different uh, goals. One of them is professional development for him because, you know, he's not an expert in, let's say, Facebook ads or something like that. But he can interview someone who is, and he'll learn, and he's able to share that learning with other people. So you do it for professional development, you do it to sharpen your own ideas and your own thinking, um, and you do it for networking. So it, it can serve uh, a lot of different 
uh, goals. You know, you're building your brand because others are coming to you and listening to you as an expert. Um, but you're also having an excuse and an opportunity to make the kind of connections that can be helpful in a myriad of different ways to your business. So I would encourage people early on to get into content creation, not necessarily because, oh, I need to blast my message out to the world immediately, but partly because it can help you learn what your message is. Well, it's funny you say that because when I started the show almost four years ago, that was one of the things that was a driver for me too. And I resonate with John on what he said because there just weren't hardly any leadership podcasts out there that were done weekly, that had good audio quality, that were consistent. And I wanted one and I couldn't find one. And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess one option is I could I could create one. Yes. And and even if no one else listened to our conversation, Dory, I mean, you're, you're giving me lots of ideas. So I, I definitely resonate with that of just, just the process of starting to put together content, of curating things, of going out in the world and, and, and starting to think about how you're going to write something or put together a model really does start to change how you think about things and the value you can offer to yourself and to others and the organization. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's just a, a, a whole variety of, of benefits that come from it. So it's awesome that, that you, uh, you saw a gap and you went out and filled it. That's exactly what people should be doing. I know one of the uh, the things you say in the book is that you don't think that standing out is really optional anymore. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to write this book, and, and in a lot of ways it is kind of a continuation of some ideas that I began in my first book, Reinventing You, is that I, I realized from my own experience, from talking to people, and, and maybe some of your listeners feel this way, that there really aren't guarantees anymore in the work world the way that perhaps uh, people once felt that there were. I mean, it's incredibly rare that you find people that are lifers at one company. I mean, it's really not done these days. And so if we do live in this, in this world where we have to be um, you know, thinking more about our career arc, both from a defensive position, because you, know, you don't know what happens with your company, uh, but also from a proactive position, because I think there's more of an increased understanding now that, you know what, you deserve to be fulfilled in your professional life. If you feel like you are in a rut, or you've hit a plateau, maybe it's time to learn something new because that's actually part of being human is finding ways to grow and to progress and to, uh, to learn new things. And, and that that's actually a good thing rather than a bad thing. Um, but so reinvention is, is a constant, but as you're, as you're doing this, there's a risk because we now are in this globalized society. You're, you're not just competing with a local talent pool. I mean, I even, you know, at the beginning of when I launched my business 10 years ago, I mean, even then, um, it was actually fairly rare for people to be dealing with, um, you know, with folks over the internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was looking for a web designer or a graphic designer, it was people that you found at the local chamber of commerce. You know, you'd go to the chamber mixer and it's like, oh, good, you know, yeah, let's, let's, uh, you know, I'll hire you. Yeah, and, it's, yeah. and it was between, you know, Betsy and maybe two other graphic designers that lived in your town. And now you just, you go to Elance, you go to 99designs and there's, you know, 10,000 people that you can be choosing. And I'm willing to bet if you're an American that there's a lot of people who are charging less than you. Yeah. And so there's, uh, there's a lot more reason now where we have to, uh, you know, you could say justify your, your price 
um, you know, that's like the negative way of phrasing it. But really what it means is you have to explain to people why they should pick you. You have to find a, a way to stand out so that people will feel good paying for you and choosing you. There's a, you know, Rolexes are not the cheapest watches. Cristal is not the cheapest champagne. Brooks Brothers are not the cheapest suits, but people buy them for a reason. And we've got to give people a reason similarly to choose us. That's what standing out is about. And Dory, the people I know both in small businesses and in Fortune 500 companies who are really doing amazing things in their career are doing exactly that. They are they are reinventing themselves. They are talking about the value they provide. They are thinking like an entrepreneur and being innovative and they're creating content and they're doing all these things and they're finding ways to do that uh, within the scope of their organizations. And And it's really neat to see people who have figured that out. And I hope that if Dory's giving you some things to think about, I know she's giving me some things to think about here. I hope you'll grab the book and utilize it. It's speaking of frameworks to utilize it as a framework for how you can stand out, whether that you is you individually or your small business, or even thinking about working in a large organization. Uh, I know it's going to be a really, uh, a really fabulous framework for you in starting to move forward and to be thinking about something which you know, I know Dory and I both believe isn't really optional anymore is how to stand out in today's world. Dory, I am, uh, I'm really thrilled to get introduced to you. You've given me a lot to think about, and I, uh, I can't wait to see what happens with the book. And I'm so excited that you're launching it this week. Dave, thank you so much. It's great speaking with you. Dory Clark is the author of Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory, thanks a ton. Lots of great stuff here from this conversation, especially if it's a goal of yours to stand out in your career or in your industry. I've captured it all on the show notes. So for those of you who get the weekly leadership guide, check out the link at the bottom and uh, definitely check out the details on that. I've also put links to the books and resources that Dory and I mentioned. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, or feedback either on today's show or for the upcoming Q&A show, always the first Monday of the month. The next one is episode 191, and that will be in early May. And so if you have a question for that show, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. And the topic for that show is going to be books, which is a good alignment for today. And uh, so definitely check that out if you have a question. And speaking of books, I was thinking about just how I read books these days. And for a while there, I had back in the days when everyone carried around iPods, I had my iPod and I used to buy audiobooks on iTunes and I would download them to my iPod. And I'd, this was in the days when you had to plug in everything. I'd plug it in and I'd sync it up and I'd get on the road and I'd listen to a part of the book and I don't know if it was just me or it's the technology at the time, but I could never seem to get my iPod to save the spot where I was listening on the audiobook. And I'd always end up getting my spot reset and I'd have to go back and like search through, it seemed like 15 or 20 minutes of trying to figure out where my place was and all that. And I was thinking that it's so much better now. I started trying out Audible, I don't know, probably about seven or eight months ago. And that's how I do almost all my reading now. And I've been amazed at how much more reading I've been able to do because the technology is so much better. Audible has this app now, at least for the iPhone, that you can 
uh, start and stop. It never loses your place. You can even tap and take notes on the uh, the audio marker that you want to. It's really, really cool. And the reason I mentioned this is I was looking at books on Audible here this evening when I'm recording this, and Dory's book is going to be coming out this week. And so, and she's the one narrating it. And I love it when authors narrate their own books. So if you're looking for another way to read the book, check it out on Audible. And it turns out actually that we also have an affiliate relationship with Audible. So if you'd like to help support the show and get a free trial for Audible for 30 days, including two free books. So Dory's book could be one of those. uh, And then you still get another one. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash audible, and that will give you access for 30 days and the two free books. So a great way to get started on your reading. Uh, that's what I always do when I'm picking up, I shouldn't say always, I do occasionally read on on a device, but I really try to do most by audio these days because I'm, like many of you, out and about a whole lot. So check that out if that's something that's helpful to you. We'll talk more about books on the Q&A show on episode number 191. And I'll have that link, of course, in this week's weekly leadership guide, which speaking of which, this week is going to be on learning, I believe. I haven't written it yet, but uh, it's going to be on learning because there's some really good articles uh, that I've seen just in the last few days. And I hope that you'll also join the weekly leadership guide. It is delivered to your inbox every Wednesday. It includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, resources out there that'll support your development between the shows also includes the links to every show and the show notes at the bottom. So if you're listening on the go, like I am, uh, it'll give you a good way to follow up on those. And as a bonus, when you join, you'll get access to my reader's guide that has the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And almost all of those are available by audiobook as well. And I've got summaries of all the books, an 11 page guide, a nine minute video. You get all of that by going to coaching for leaders dot com slash subscribe. And one of those people who I know gets the weekly leadership guide is Sue Barber, who reached out to me uh, a while back. And we've talked over email a few times. And I'm so glad to get to feature her in this week's community member spotlight. Hi, everybody in the Coaching for Leaders community. My name is Sue Barber, and I live in the northern suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. I initially found the Coaching for Leaders podcast when I was searching for podcasts around coaching and leadership. And in my role, I've been leading teams globally for over 20 years. And I love developing people and seeing them reach new possibilities in their own leadership. So it's been great for me to get new ideas for them. For myself, um, I have a great deal of uh, experience in leading people, but I have still found that I am learning something new in every episode. And I initially was skipping around to different episodes, and I realized I might miss something if I don't start back at the beginning. So I started back at episode one. I'd have to say a couple of my favorites were around the annual action plan and leveraging Michael Hyatt's Best Year Ever program, which I'm doing this year, and it has really given me more focus on my goals. And the second one was the personal knowledge management system episode, Uh, I am in information technology, so I love new apps, new productive ways to use technology. So I am using Feedly, Newsify, Pocket, Buffer, along with Twitter to really find ways to capture and and create new information. And your guests have been great. Um, I have reached out to some of those guests um, because they've been open to do so. And it's a new way to uh, really expand your network on Twitter and LinkedIn with some of these 
really great people who have an interest in the same things that you do. I wondered, Dave, if you'd ever considered having the people in the Coaching for Leaders community start leveraging your website for discussion boards or reaching out to each other on different topics. It might give you new ideas for future podcasts and would help build more of a support network for everyone in the community since we all care about the same things. Thanks so much for what you and Bonnie are doing. All the best for continued success. Well, Sue, thank you so much for the kind message. And Sue and I connected right away because I grew up in the Chicago suburbs as well, a town called Naperville. So, uh, Sue, glad to get connected with you. And I'll put links to the episodes that Sue mentioned here in her feedback in the show notes. Uh, I'm going through Michael Hyatt's Best Year Ever program as well, as we talked about very early this year. And it has been great for me also. And a couple of things Sue mentioned here that I also wanted to comment on. There is a page on the website you can actually suggest guests for the show. So if you have someone that either you know or you just like to see appear on the show, I'm always open to that. Uh, Go to coachingforleaders.com slash suggest, and that's a great way to make recommendations for the show. I can't always get back to everyone personally on that just because I get a number of suggestions, but um, I am always read and consider every one of those. So please do uh, check that out. And Sue, to answer your other question, uh, I have thought on a number of occasions of setting up a forum And the reason I haven't yet is because uh, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it really well. And right now, time and resources are such that I've decided not to put my attention there. Uh, But stay tuned. More information coming uh, in the next few months here. And uh, I'll make sure you get alerted, Sue, when that's available. So stay tuned for more. Hey, have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Make sure to stop by because next week's episode is all about how to coach. And it is from one of the best coaches I know. Tom Henschel is joining me from the Look and Sound of Leadership podcast. We're going to have a great conversation about how to coach. You don't want to miss it. See you next week. Take care.